0: So it's a recommendations episode.
1: There you go, that's the tone you need.
0: Disguise the disdain you feel for our listenership.
1: John, build your Kennedy. More wacky, John.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't
0: one today.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Nerdfest podcast. With us today, we have
1: Louise Taylor,
2: Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler, and I'm John Farthing. It's a recommendations episode, so we will be barber hymening. Is that the term? Oppen no. barbering. I will be looking at Evil Dead Vise, and then Peter will be joining the after party. So let's get going.
0: More enthusiastic last bit. So let's get going. Less enthusiastic than that. Though. So
3: let's get going. <laughs> it's slightly different. Let's get going.
1: Like you'd rather we ripped your fingernails out?
2: Ooh, let's get going. <laughs> so yeah, Barbie, Barbie Heimer
3: is now... Oh, can we just say hello to Louise? Well, yeah, hello, Louise. I'm not her,
1: I? just
2: well, I, I see her every morning. But we don't. Hello,
1: I seen you most days, Peter. This is true. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Don't normally see you with a microphone in front of you.
1: No, it's very weird.
2: Yeah. So we t- we we'll be talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer, but have you heard the that Barbieheimer is now done and dusted? Why is that? In October, it is Saw Patrol, where people go for a double bill of Saw <laughs> X and the new Paw Patrol movie.
1: I know which one of those would be more horrifying.
2: <laughs> and it's the one with the dogs, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think I once went to a Paw Patrol movie when my nephew was a lot younger, and they basically just stitched together four episodes of the TV series with very little connective tissue between them. But the kids are somehow excited, even though sometimes it's an episode that's been on the TV before.
2: It's kind of, they did that in the 70s with a lot of TV shows, though, didn't they? Like the Spider-Man show, they'd just stick two episodes together and release it in cinemas and say there's a new Spider-Man movie.
3: Battlestar Galactica or something was that yeah. as well.
2: We went see the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles... Mutant Mayhem this week again with a cinema full of not quite screaming kids. No,
1: but I think it's more teenage audience that it's aiming for.
3: Was there a child based reason for this?
1: We did take my nephew and my godson and his little brother. Loads of them. Well, yeah, we were going to go and yeah. see the Meg two, but there was some debate about whether it was too scary for some of them. They've seen the trailer now and decided that no, it's not, and we should have gone and seen Meg two.
3: Mm-hmm. What about if it's too bad for them? Oh
1: well, you, maybe. Have you seen the reviews? I did warn them about that, and my godson is a bit more critically attuned these days. He went to the Oppenheimer last week, he thought it was excellent, and he looked up the Rotten Tomatoes score of the Meg 2, saw it was 28, and got more excited, wanted to see it more. <laughs> so, bad, good films are in, apparently. In
3: that case, I think John has some movies to recommend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Their parents have been catching them up on some of the classics, like, what were they? What? The Thing, the original the They've shown yeah. The Thing, which I've never had the stomach to watch, to be honest, but the kids loved it. And they were debating showing them The Nightmare on Elm Street. They might have to segment the kids for that one, I think, Mm -hmm. because some of them were less keen. I think we're going to get John to give them a viewing list of some classics. I've strongly advocated for Aliens. I thought they should probably skip Alien because I think it's maybe a bit too creepy Hmm. for the younger ones. But Aliens is just a balls-out action film.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: Quite long, though, by their standards. So they don't know if the kids' attention span will hold up.
2: I have a friend who is... Younger than us, and he says he's never watched a film that was made before the year 2000 because they were rubbish. But having watched Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, he went back to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. And his opinion is that Dial of Destiny is better than Raiders of
1: the Lost Ark. His his cinematic tastes have been skewed.
0: Oh, dear. Mm -hmm. Where where does he live and what are his greatest fears? (laughs) (laughs) Newcastle and
2: being old. A special shout out to the t- Beep who sat next to me during Turtles and spent the entire film on her phone on a Facebook Messenger telling people how bad the film was.
1: It wasn't that bad though.
2: No, I ended up having to like watch the film at an angle with my hand covering my face so that I could see the screen rather than because we were at the audience. Obviously, the screen was dimmer than. So, did he have a disapproving
3: grimace all the way through the movie?
1: He did. I kept looking down the row past all the children because you have to keep checking the children are having a good time. I thought maybe he was ill, so I'm quite relieved to find out it was just an annoying person next to him.
3: So what would you like to do to people who do that in the I would like job? to get
2: their phones, shove them up their jacksies, and put an app on that makes them vibrate, although <laughs> they might enjoy that. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think it was like a 12 certificate film, John. Do you have a 12 certificate it was a, version it, it, of that? it was a PG. Oh, okay. Do you have a PG version of that?
2: I, I would take their phone with them for 15 seconds and watch them get increasingly... Fidgety and stressed. Going,
3: I'm
1: melting, I'm Mm-mm. melting,
3: and shrivel away.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably what would happen. Andy, you've had a bad experiences in that cinema with people on their phones, I think, as well, haven't you? Yeah,
0: and it's mostly young people, and young people just shouldn't be allowed out. And <laughs> that's <laughs> that the only so solution. Y-
2: yeah, you're, so saying, many y- you're saying young people shouldn't be allowed to go see what is essentially a children's film. Correct.
0: Yeah. Only mm-hmm. you be allowed and then you can report back to the children in your own inimitable style i'll
3: I'll give them a pc they do have like mother and baby screenings maybe they should have adults only screenings of kids movies yeah that's not going to attract
2: the (laughs) (laughs) person
1: that just sounds a bit wrong
2: i still want to go see barbie but i don't want to go see it on my own you went to see it on your own, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I was in the same screening as uh, Louise and Hazel, but um, they had uh, done a whole thing beforehand that I wasn't invited to, so I was in, <laughs> in the room, but... Um, was this except... the
2: pink for sicko brunch?
0: Yeah, for some reason, I, it wasn't deemed that I would be... Did you not want to be anywhere near them? No, I, I would have enjoyed that, but I think mm. um, I happened to go see it while wearing all black, which was not <laughs> a statement at all.
1: You would have stuck out like a sore thumb in that cinema. Did you
2: go see Oppenheim with a pink
0: um, cowboy hat on? <laughs> no, i, I just feather boa and boots mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it was unintentional that was just how i happened to dress mm-hmm. that day and it was also it happened to be pride um that day and i got the metro in and realized oh god i'm dressed as if i'm being a surly bastard who's <laughs> trying to make some sort of point i'm not this is just what i look like i enjoyed it barbie's fantastic
2: correct yeah i thought turtles was good for, it was a very good soundtrack
1: it was surprisingly good i thought it was a bit odd that it was nearly all sort of 90s music Mm-hmm. Which I guess none of the kids would have known it was kind of introducing them to some old fashioned music,
2: and it had a a very good like animation style similar to similar to the multiverse band kind multiverse of it was film. very
1: like sketchy hand drawn, uh-huh. so every time there was an explosion, it was just like a pencil scribble sort of thing. but it did work, yeah, it swept you along. I did have a little movie nap in the middle, which I tend to do when I go to see films with kids. I don't know why, but what I did see in the film was very entertaining. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think when you got to the conclusion, all these characters appeared and you were like, I've never seen these characters before. Oh, no,
1: it was um, the Turtles met up with a bunch of the mutants they had been fighting previously and said, look, we got on before, we can get on again. And I thought, they've never met before, what are they talking about? And then after a while I realised, oh, you've slept through the middle of the film, Louise. (laughs)
4: Um,
1: But I don't think I missed out on anything too (laughs) crazy. You slept through
2: most of Mario as well, didn't you?
1: I did, and I don't regret that.
3: Right, so we review...
2: Yes, who would like to go first? We can go pink or black.
3: Why don't you start with yours,
0: John?
1: Get it out of the way.
0: Oh, Time for a nap, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's preface my this by saying Louise left the room after 20 minutes and refused to come back.
1: I have to say it's only because I'd seen reviews of this film and other people's opinions where they'd said it had some of the most disgusting stuff they'd ever seen on film. And I'd just eaten my dinner. I didn't want to hang around for that.
2: So, Evil Dead Rise. <laughs> uh, this is the fifth Evil Dead movie. It's interesting, it's a franchise, I think, that's never had a Duff movie yet. I wasn't massively keen on the TV series. Peter's looking like, he's thinking, I did not enjoy Army of Darkness. I'm guessing we'll no, be the I, one.
3: No, I was okay with Army of Darkness. I heard mixed reports of the one after that that was called Evil Dead or The Evil Dead. Yeah, the 2012. And it was good, but it
2: didn't really have the turn of the other films. It, it wasn't Bruce Campbell either. It, no no Bruce Campbell, and there's, there's no Bruce Campbell in this one. So what's the point? Because it's very good. Spoiler. (laughs) So we start with a a really weird prologue that has nothing to do with the rest of the film and doesn't reappear at the end, but just seems to be designed to give like a gory action sequence at the beginning to get people going, ooh, evil dead. Might that have been something that added in reshoots? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's very ropey. The effects are crap. And it's just tonally disparate with the rest of the film. And I don't know why it's there. So about five minutes in, I'm going, I'm not going to enjoy this film. But then we get into the main story where we have two estranged sisters, one of whom is a tattoo artist with a tattoo gun. I wonder if that might appear at some point. Single mother living with her two teenage children, one slightly younger child in a soon-to-be-condemned high-rise flat in L.A., Her sister is a guitar technician, stroke groupie, depending on who you believe, who has found out she is pregnant and has come back to visit her estranged sister to give her this news. There is an earthquake in the building, which reveals a bank vault below holding some records and a book of the dead, the famous book that we've seen in the previous Evil Dead films, which is discovered by three children and all hell ensues. So, this was originally designed to go straight to hbo max or just max it's called in america but they did some test screens for it and it got such good results in the test screenings that it got a cinema release okay Uh, a rare thing i think it's called the reverse back girl if you go (laughs) for a, a position and it's really really good it's proper dark grisly gruesome it doesn't hold its punches it's not by any means a deep meditation on family bonds and motherhood, but that's kind of there as a subtext. If you want it to be there, things about like, protecting your children and that kind of thing. Lots of good practical effects. And it's got the Evil Dead feel to it. It's uh, a lot more serious If you look internally, wise the first Evil Dead? It's a
3: bit more the scares rather than the out-and-out comedy.
2: Yeah, a lot of this, the scares. More gore rather than jump scares. And it's all set within an apartment block, so you get lots of kitchen implements being put to uses for which they're not intended. I don't think it's a spoiler to say because there there's a cheese grater in the trailer that is uh, put to good use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you've got the thing yeah, where, where the people get possessed um, and they start sort of kind of like shit-talking and wisecracking and you get all of that, so that that's really good fun. Yeah, I really, really liked it. There's a few... Good Evil Dead references early on. Towards the end, the Evil Dead references get a little bit over the top to the point where it drags you out of it. So there is a shotgun there for no reason, really. And then suddenly somebody has a chainsaw and holds it in a particular manner and that that kind of thing.
3: Does the shotgun get called a boomstick?
2: Don't think it does, no. But, you know, certainly, you know, the angle they hold it and the the shots echo and it, it becomes a little bit too self referential at that point. But uh, yeah, it's good to see a proper, scary, grim horror film. Hmm. At what point did you leave,
1: Louise? I think I didn't realise it was on, and then I came in, looked at it, and went, this is Evil Dead, rise, isn't it? And he said, yep, and I left.
3: Uh, Was that before or after it got allegedly good, John?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I came in during the weird intro. Mm. I think I came in during the scene setting with the family. Yeah. There was a lot of complicated family dynamics that I just didn't have the patience for. If I wasn't going to hang around and watch it all, yeah, there's a lot going on, sort of story-wise, between all those characters. I'm guessing it all gets jettisoned in favor of mindless violence later on. And
2: that's pretty much it. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> it's the thing with these sort of films. You get twenty or thirty minutes to sketch the characters and do enough to make the characters likable and for you to be interested in them when they start getting dismembered.
1: There was a cute little kid in a bunny outfit, and I thought it's not going to go well for her, so I didn't want to hang around and see how badly that ended I
2: mean, up. I mean, I mean, she manages to bike her. Big sister through the head with a massive stick with a doll's head She'll have done it at some point.
1: Right. Yeah, I think I opted out at the right point. It's not my <laughs> cup of tea.
3: I mean, the comeback. Oh, okay. <laughs> is there any link at all to the fourth one, or is that just. The fourth one, I think, is done and swept under the sofa of history. Yeah. Bruce Campbell doesn't appear
2: in this one, but he has two audio presences.
3: So they could put his name on the cover. He's or...
2: involved as a producer quite heavily, I think. I think he was involved in the casting quite a lot in the, the post-production. But uh, there, there is a cameo where his voice is reading out uh, a passage from the book. And then he has another cameo later on that they offered um, money to anybody who would figure out what the cameo was. And the cameo is uh, something horrible happens to somebody who is getting eaten. And the sound effect of them getting eaten is actually <laughs> is Bruce Campbell chewing on an apple. <laughs>
3: right. I mean, you could have done almost like a fright night type of thing, where he was an expert in such things who was brought in towards the end of the no, movie. He,
2: I mean, he said he's retired from playing you national. Know, okay. he, he did the TV series, for, and then when that was cancelled, he said he's done other than voice work. I think he, he must be sixties now. And pull it too old to be spun around and having gallons and gallons of fake blood poured all over him.
3: You're never too old for that. No. <laughs> <laughs> So how many kitchen implements in places kitchen implements don't want to go? Uh,
0: Nine. Oh. I thought it was excellent. I'm trying to think of something to contribute with, but I just don't want to see that. (laughs) 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 It, It sounds like a John film and not an Andy film.
2: It's better than it had any right to be. It's really, really well made. It's tightly done. Probably one of the best horror films I've seen, compared to like the... The Hellraiser remake, reboot, that wasn't great. And the last two Halloween films, it's nice to see. All of legacy. which I think
3: you recommended, didn't I think so. Yeah. I
1: think there were those recommendations <laughs> where he's not really recommending them. He just wants to talk about it.
2: I think the Hellraiser, I gave a guarded review. You watched the Hellraiser film, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I think. I With a the guy the fe- Feeling Yarr- that it totally pulled its punches and was a bit lily-livid as a horror film.
2: Yeah. The guy from the hour run, wandering around with some kind of weird clock device sticking out of his belly for no reason.
1: He had a big metallic orifice of some kind, which yeah. he seemed happy to wander around with. That
0: sounds hilarious. It, it was <laughs>
1: hilarious, actually.
0: Well, I might want to watch that. Mm-hmm. But
1: it, I just, I was annoyed at it, I think, because it did just feel like it didn't go the full Hellraiser. Maybe mm-hmm. they thought that was going to be on TV as well. Or was it on TV? I mean,
2: it was on Hulu, which means... Yeah, maybe that's why yeah, it was a bit I think everyone said that time means Pinhead is a Disney princess now.
1: I'm not on board with that. <laughs>
3: So, shall we do something
2: lighter? You can't go darker, can we? I think Oppenheimer would be lighter. So when we saw Turtles yesterday, we were in the screen next to the IMAX where Oppenheimer was on, and there was one point where you couldn't hear the dialogue because there was a large nuclear explosion happening in the next room, making the cinema shake.
1: I don't remember that, so I must have slept through yeah, the you probably bomb. asleep, yeah. <laughs> Amazing.
3: So shall we go Barbie? Who at this table is a Barbie girl? Given that Louise is actually literally wearing pink.
1: There is more to Barbie than just pink, Peter. <laughs> oh, is this me? Am I do- it's a, talking Yeah. Barbie? Right, okay.
3: Do you want the more obvious cue?
1: <laughs> well, To
2: Louise, talk about Barbie.
1: Thank you, John. That's the level of instruction I need. Not because I'm a woman. I'm just stupid. <laughs> yeah, so I-, I went to see Barbie, as the entire world has done. And I was at the Prosecco-based afternoon tea that Andy was forcibly excluded from.
3: When they say tea. It
1: was afternoon tea. So we went to the Tyneside Cinema, Newcastle's independent cinema, and... Basically, we had an incredible pink-themed afternoon tea where the sandwiches were filled with pink things, and (gasps) the the scones were pink, and the cakes were pink and delicious, and we had pink Prosecco. We had so much pink Prosecco that we tried to get some more pink Prosecco to take into the cinema, and the man just looked at us wearily and said, there is no more pink Prosecco in the cinema.
3: Or possibly the world.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. so we just had to get regular Prosecco, which has a similar effect, so it was fine.
2: Could have just got regular Prosecco and put some Ribena in it. That's how they make it, isn't
1: it? Yeah, so we did the afternoon tea, which was marvellous. So my views on Barbie are slightly laced by the large volume of Prosecco that I drank before watching it. It was great! (laughs) Even just going to see it and being part of the ridiculous hoopla was very enjoyable. So the afternoon tea itself was great. They'd had a Barbie party in the cinema the night before, and the place was full of giant pink Barbie balloons and things like that. So it was very much a vibe going on. We kind of got there a bit early and were waiting in the bar, and there was just women everywhere who'd really dressed for the occasion. And everyone, when they saw someone else dressed in pink, which I must confess I was, I did wear a pink dress, they would just kind of give a little knowing smile and you would all go, yeah, we're all going to Barbie. It's going to be great.
2: As pointed out, this was the day of the Pride Parade in Newcastle. It was Newcastle's gayest day ever, I believe. It was pretty (laughs) spectacular.
1: I think that definitely fed into the overall party Mm -hmm. vibe in the cinema. But yes, Barbie was quite the experience. From all the promo that I'd seen on it, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I kind of thought what I was going to see was going to be sort of like elf for women in a way. The Barbie world clashing with the real world sort of thing, which it kind of was. Obviously, the film's directed by Greta Gerwig, who's had quite an illustrious cinematic career from kind of weird indie art house core movies. And then she obviously did Little Women a few years back, which was a fantastic reinterpretation of that book. And I think Barbie is probably the height of her career to date, I would say. I think it's pushing a billion dollars in the box office now. The first movie, I think, that a woman director has managed to make that much cash out of. So yeah, we I think we all had a fantastic time seeing Barbie, and I think it kind of was what I thought it would be in a sense. It was about the real world clashing with this sort of fantastical dream world, but obviously about so much more as well.
3: I mean, the thing I was wondering is to what extent it's a knowing, puncturing the conceived idea of Barbie and what a world is and what that represents compared to actual uh, womanhood.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah,
3: And also how it handles what they're allowed to say about the company. Oh, that was
1: all very interesting in a sense. Um, That was kind of one of the things I was maybe a little critical of about it. Obviously, it's a gigantic blockbuster that's come from Mattel as a massive corporation. They seem to be happy to be portrayed as the villains in the film partially. So in a sense, the Mattel company are sort of the monsters in the real world. And I guess I need to give a summary of the plot for people who haven't seen it. Essentially, we visit Barbie land, which is everything you would expect it to be. It's a fantastical dream world. It's entirely ruled by women. There are some Kens, but they're kind of eye candy and on the side. They don't have a lot to contribute while the Barbies are running the world. They are the presidents. They are the Supreme Court. They are the doctors. They are everything and everyone. But then the main Barbie, who refers to herself as stereotypical Barbie, this is played by Margot Robbie. She has something of an existential crisis. She starts to think about death and she starts to experience the horror of cellulite. And she can't understand why these things are infecting her fabulous Barbie dream world. She goes to visit Weird Barbie, played by Kate McKinnon, who is the Barbie who I think everyone had, who's been played with too much. She only does the splits because her leg joints are broken. Her hair has been cut to pieces, (sighs) scribbled all over with pen. So she's weird, quirky Barbie. She sends stereotypical Barbie on a mission to the real world to find the girl who's been playing with her, who it's concluded is the cause of all of her existential crisis. She's sad because the girl who plays with her is sad. So she goes off to the real world to try and find this person to see if she can help them, make them better, and stop the, all the horrors infecting Barbie world. She kind of takes Ken with her involuntarily. He gate crashes a bit. Ken is, of course, played by Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, who I've always had something of a loathing of. I can't Same really stomach Ryan Gosling. I'm sure I've bored everyone with this Rookie before. I think he has the cold dead eyes of a killer. <laughs> Probably the only thing I've enjoyed him in is Blade Runner 2049 where he was playing a cold dead robot. So I felt that was really good casting for him. So I wasn't really sure about the idea of Ken in the Barbie movie. People said, sort of, oh, this will win you round. He's a comic genius. You'll see that he's great. What it actually proved is that he is a villain out and out, and that is kind of what he is in the film. Stereotypical Barbie, stereotypical Ken, played by Ryan Gosling, tries to destroy the world, really. Kind of like, yeah, I told everyone all along.
3: Oh, that's why they're linking it with Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Well, he's
1: not making the atomic bomb. I don't think he's got the smarts to do that, bless him, because Ken's job is beach. Not a lifeguard. He's not anything. He just lives at the beach. His job is beach. It is to look good in trunks. And he kind of takes issue with this. Basically, they go to the real world. They immediately encounter the horrors of the patriarchy when Bobby is kind of sexually harassed as soon as they get to Venice Beach. And Ken wanders into a library, discovers the patriarchy, and thinks, yes, this is what I've been lacking. This is what we need. Men should be in charge of everything. This is totally right. And so Ken then goes back to Bobby Land and basically ruins everything by trying to institute patriarchy. He has lots of other Kens joining in with him to try and help him with this. There's an incredible, diverse cast. There's some great actors in there, who, people who you might not have expected to see cast in sort of a, a Barbie movie, because we all have, I think, an idea of what a Barbie movie might have been. Shuti Gatwa, the new Doctor Who. Got Simu Lu from... Dang um, Chi. Zhang Chi, uh, with the Ten Rings. Um, he's an excellent foil for Ken, because he's kind of out-kenning Ken quite a lot, which Ryan Gosling Ken takes offence at. There's a lot of Kens. I can't remember them all a lot of Barbies as well. Kind of the overriding message of the film is that anyone can be anything but mainly women can be anything. Will Farrell plays the the CEO of Mattel uh, and the one thing I did the kind of thinking back on it that I thought they could have maybe done more with when Barbie and Ken face the real world they come up against lots of the challenges of everyday life like casual sexism and harassment and things which Barbie is immediately horrified by. But then the world of kind of corporate America, I think, gets off quite lightly. And obviously, because it's a movie that's come from Mattel, they kind of go along with the game by letting themselves be made out to be the bad guys, in a sense. The corporate world of Mattel is just this massive boardroom full of men in suits. And they're kind of trying to get Barbie back in her box and send her back to Dreamland. They don't want her in the real world, confusing things. But I did kind of think that the business world of Mattel is sort of painted in quite cartoony broad strokes. And I think there's probably more to say and explore there. Like the themes of patriarchy and matriarchy versus everything in the general world is one thing, but a bit like severance, kind of got rows of these soulless cubicles in their business offices. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's really what the corporate world really looks like these days, but it definitely has things in it that should be challenged. You know, there's all kinds of things in the workplace that where people are not treated equally that it could have explored and commented on.
3: Little girls who go to see it because they want to see Barbie. Mm. How are they going to react to any of these more adult i think it's an
1: interesting it is a 12 certificate film Mm. so like it's not kind of out and out selling itself as a kids movie as much as some of the promo and the images you see might give that impression it's like a 50 50 split really like kids who go to see it because they enjoy barbie and that kind of world there is things in it for them there's lots of goofy joking around there's lots of silly fights and dance scenes and things which they will absolutely love and there's jokes that are at a level that kids will enjoy but there's also a whole other level of context and subtext and discussion going on behind the scenes almost that adults would really appreciate and that i think they do like i think we all really enjoyed the themes it was exploring and we're just quite amazed to see them being explored in a film like barbie with its billion dollar budget and things
3: i wondered if one reason for doing that and having mattels kind of almost featured in a way was because they want to try and launch this mattel universe where a whole bunch of their IPs being raided for the most Wheels. i think is next isn't it yeah which you can imagine being just Mm -hmm. any sort of racing movie with hot wheels slapped on it yeah but there's ones for things like Bop it. <laughs> I could imagine a Saw movie based on Bop it, but I don't know what else you could mm-hmm. do. I
2: think it may, may be a different country, but um, I know Ridley Scott spent years trying to make a Monopoly movie.
1: There was a movie that Hugh Jackman was in a while back, wasn't there, that was basically based on that game where a Welcome red robot Socken and a blue robots, robot yeah. Oh, yeah. hit each other over and over again. And they managed to make a film out of that. I
3: actually quite like that film. Thing. <laughs> it was a stupid film, but I enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> they made a film out of Battleship. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: yeah. And
0: uh, Taylor Kitsch. A film with
3: one token scene where they have a, a, like a little grid and they have to mm-hmm. try and hit the enemy Battleship.
0: It was ghastly, but uh, Barbie, absolutely the opposite. It is full of substance and meaning, and it's uh, brilliant what they've done with it. Don't be put off by it's its a film about a toy. It's Any story can be good. Uh, it depends on how it's told, and the story is told well.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot in it to really value. I think America Ferrera has an amazing speech just about the challenges of being a woman in a modern world and how insane it is, which I think gave everyone a bit of a tear in their eye because it was just beautifully written and amazingly performed. There was also some lovely things in there around like motherhood and mother daughter relationships and how Barbie as a doll as a toy kind of feeds into that. There was a lovely cameo from Rhea Perlman, um, who plays the lady who invented Barbie, Ruth Handler, and she's kind of haunting the Mattel offices as a, a ghost. She just hangs out. They just go and talk to her now and then, which everyone just accepts because, yeah, the real world in Barbie is not quite the real world. <laughs> it's <laughs> still a little bit removed. Um, and there's there was lots of beautiful things in there which. I don't think I was only crying because I was drunk on Prosecco. I think it was just beautiful filmmaking, really. And Prosecco. And Prosecco.
3: So as a tie-in, do they now sell a doll that looks a little more like Margot Robbie that says stereotypical Barbie I'm not sure they've
1: gone to that level, but they do sell dolls of a lot of the Barbies who featured in the movies. A lot of them were based on Barbies of the past, so some of them were based on weird Barbies that got cancelled, which they make quite a thing of in the movie, and it's quite entertaining just to see them. So there was a growing-up skipper Barbie if you moved her arm up and down, her boobs would magically grow and she would go through puberty what? instantly. That An actual doll that was for sale. Yeah, Sam.
2: I think that was on a buff or bluff many Qu- episodes yeah, ago. You, yeah, I think that, I did weird you might Barbies, weird Barbie dolls. Yeah,
1: there are a lot of odd ones. I did quite like um, Michael Sierra's cameo. He was a doll called Alan who was briefly introduced to be a friend of Ken and then he was so dull he kind of got sidelined.
0: All Ken's clothes fit him. Fit who? Alan. That's his whole oh, thing. Oh,
1: he just can wear that secondary wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His shirt is like not quite the right size for him. It's like the neckline is almost too big, and it just, he totally looked like a doll in a piece of doll's clothing in the way that doll's clothes have such human scale stitches for a tiny little person. (laughs) That was quite cute. Thought they'd done that really well. I think one of the most interesting things has been like the reaction from men complaining that the movie kind of sidelines men in the way that women have always complained about being sidelined. Which is sort of missing the point entirely. It's like, yes, that's what we're saying. See? See how unfair it is, and now you're indignant about it. That's what we feel. So I think it's been a good arsehole revealer, really. It (laughs) really
0: has. It's delicious how upset some horrible people are about this film.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm really, really angry about it. I don't like it, and I think it's unfair. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, did I miss anything?
1: My friend was telling me that her teenage niece went to see it and she came home from it absolutely full of feminist rage, which she'd never had before. Hating men, told all <laughs> her cousins that they were the cause of all the problems in the <laughs> world and that men were ruining everything. And I thought, oh, that that's probably not quite what they were going for.
3: I think it's exactly what she was going for. I'm
1: not sure it is. I think really the take home message is meant to be that everyone should be equal. And in any world where the balance is off, there is discord. Like the reason the, the Kens were not happy was because there was an equality and the Barbies had kind of taken it to the extreme and they had this amazing matriarchal society, which I have to say looked pretty damn good. We were all pretty on board with it. But ultimately the message was you can't have half the people happy and half of them just not and half living in like subservient to the others. It's an amazing script, an amazing film. It's it's just a a real roller coaster ride.
2: How many
3: weird Barbie Dolls from the 60s, I don't know what I'm saying. That think. wasn't
1: very good, was it, John?
3: No. How many shades of pink out of ten?
1: Well, like I said, it's not all about the pink, but there is quite a lot of it in the movie. I think it's a solid nine out of ten. And it was just so thrilling to be in an audience who were also so excited to see such a film. It's just a laugh. It's got a banging soundtrack. There's some amazing song and dance numbers in there that just really drive things along. My friend Vicky is a massive Greta Gerwig fan, and she kind of commented that Greta has always included dance in her film she's had like a lifelong love of dance and even from her little indie films like Frances Ha, they've always had a lot of dance and that even follows through into Barbie like the dance routines are spectacular and kind of move things on as well in the plot they're not just there as window dressing.
3: You know how say if you are in bright sun and you go into a darkened room and you can't really see anymore when you came out of Barbie did the world all suddenly seem very much bluer than it used to (laughs) when you're inside? (laughs)
1: I think, if I remember rightly, the movie ends in the real world, so you'd had a bit of a transition opportunity.
0: Well, I came out and half of my photoreceptors in my eyes were fatigued, so everything was (laughs) monochrome. It was like watching The Wizard of Oz in reverse.
3: (laughs) Well, Hazel can't be with us today, but she sent us her reactions to Barbie.
4: When I first heard they were going to make a new Barbie film, a movie about a doll who, let's be honest, had played a large part in setting unrealistic beauty standards, I thought, this isn't going to be for me. Now, the moment I became excited about the Barbie movie was the moment I knew Greta Gerwig would be the engine behind it. In her previous directorial outings, Greta Gerwig had got me to care about her characters in the way few films do. This version of Barbie was going to be given a voice and a stance. It was going to be something different. From the onset photos and the way the actors talked about the production, I was counting down the days until the theatrical release. Now, I went through the pink phase when I was a little girl, but at a certain age, I had become embarrassed by the colour. Pink was girly, apparently. Weak. It supposedly represented empty-headedness and a lack of personality. Or so I was told. So I begged my mum to repaint my room blue, and I removed all pink clothing from my wardrobe. I heard a couple write into the Komodo Mayo podcast, complaining about how they were uncomfortable to see that, quote, women were flocking to the cinema dressed in pink to uncritically absorb propaganda. An absolutely big fuck you to those people. This is about people making their own choices and that being absolutely fine. The people who are criticising the people who are actually enjoying the film do need to take a long, hard look at themselves. But I'm also quite pleased that a Barbie film has caused them this much angst. In our screening, the atmosphere was feverish and relentlessly optimistic. I can't remember the time I felt this kind of buzz at a cinema. With regards to the film itself, I tried to go in objectively to take in everything that Greta Gerwig and her writing partner, Noam Baumbach, had to offer, and I was enraptured. I felt like certain lines were written exactly for me. It's a totally original movie, a movie for our times, and a powerful voice, yet, oddly, it also shouldn't be taken too seriously either, so calm down, right-wing Republicans. But the performances were captivating, and Greta Gerwig continues her trend of getting me to care about her characters. Yes, even you can. What Hazel said, that
2: was, yeah. Much, yeah. That was
1: much more coherent than what <laughs> I said.
2: I'm pleased you edited all the sexist stuff out there that she'd put in there. That was a
0: very good of you. Because we men have it so hard. Yes. I we, know. we really do. for
1: you. You <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's hilarious, and that's me saying that. You mm. know how particular I can be about comedy. <laughs> it's hugely, fantastically funny. Were
3: well, you not kind of wishing for it to be monochrome or subtitled? or?
0: <laughs> no, occasionally I like something slightly different. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, really well-crafted. It's a really smart film.
2: I've just got visions of Hazel's woman being forced to repaint her childhood room pink again. For fuck's sake, make your mind up.
3: (laughs) Shall we do the other half of the double bill?
0: Let's go for it. got to be Oppenheimer then, Um, which is just a film that was released on the same day as Barbie, and that was enough for the internet to decide that they are inextricably linked (laughs) for all time. Mm and thus they should be compared and um, treated as companion pieces, and we have to decide definitively which one is best. It's Barbie. It's clearly the best one. (laughs) Oppenheimer's good too.
2: So it's not the single greatest two films coming out on a single day ever, which is June the 16th, 1984, Ghostbusters and Gremlins came out on the same day. What a weekend. That's
0: a a double bill. That's not bad at all. And probably shorter to sit through as well, because Oppenheimer, (laughs) though good, is three. Now as long We're going this evening Yeah Coming uh, back tomorrow (laughs) Have a coffee (laughs) Hazel nearly fell asleep While we were watching Oppenheimer But didn't quite If that helps at all I'm selling it Really well here (laughs) Did you IMAX? We did not We uh, saw it at Tyneside Cinema and therefore it was in a kind of normal cinema thing, not a screen that is uh, actively trying to kill you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what we're doing. We're IMAXing. Oh. We might not live the night. I think
3: the turn side screen's a bit small.
1: Oh, I would say when we went to see Barbie, we were in the classic, and because we did the afternoon tea, we were in the circle, which is way up at the uh-huh. back, but the screen did seem minute. Like I, I kind of want to see it again to really absorb it fully, because yeah. as much as it was a multi a, a pink spectacle, it was yeah. quite far away.
2: Much as I love the Tyneside, it's not my cinema of choice for big
0: blockbusters. Well, their screen on the top floor, the Electra is um, the one that is generally more suited yeah. to this kind of thing. And that's, that's where Hazel and I saw Oppenheimer, and it did the job there. I suppose I should give a synopsis for anyone that has been living under a rock and not gone outside or spoken to human beings this year. Oppenheimer is Christopher Nolan's story of the physicist who led the team that created the first atomic bomb, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the J stands for genius. <laughs> it's an epic drama spanning many decades and covering his early career, involvement with the Manhattan Project, and the fallout, pun definitely intended, from his work, both in terms of his own feelings on nuclear warfare and how America regarded him afterwards. So more or less exactly the same as Barbie there. Oppenheimer is good. It's visually spectacular at times. Um, and if, if you're into your, your IMAX screens, then it's the kind of thing that really enjoy I'm sensing a book coming. Yeah. Um, there's a a lot of good stuff about it um it's loaded with great acting performances i think its biggest strength is is in the acting um it's got a really stacked cast and everyone is excellent particularly killian murphy as genius robert oppenheimer himself he's very likely i think to get um, an oscar nomination and well-deserved as well my favorite performance was emily blunt as kitty mrs oppenheimer she was phenomenal and charismatic, and I just want to see more of her. I want to see a film about her. Mm-hmm. She had a decent amount of screen time, but nothing really of her own to do.
2: Has Christopher Nolan ever had a great female? He's a bit Kubrickian. and I think he's more interested in men and manly things. I think so. Without being unkind.
0: Yeah, uh, wonderful acting. Um lots of moral philosophy intention, and stuff. Um, It's three hours long, but it kept me interested for the entire runtime. At no point was I bored, at no point did I look look at my watch. I was interested the whole film, but only occasionally was I properly captivated. There's uh, a a, a sequence or a couple of sequences at a really kind of pivotal, climactic moment and afterwards dealing with the, the immediate aftermath that I think is the very best part of the film, but the rest of it is not at that kind of height. Being a Christopher Nolan film, you'll be unsurprised to hear that it's not a simple linear story. He does like to fuck around with time. It intercuts the main bomb-building narrative with stories from decades later. Um, there's a thing about a confirmation hearing at the U.S. Senate, and then there's also it's almost a trial about security clearance and so on. There's interviews and a lot of different things about white men talking to each other in rooms, um, and occasionally it would have been nice if there had been a slightly different dynamic at play. It's a very dialogue-heavy film.
2: Now when when you say dialogue heavy in Christopher Nolan is the dialogue at least understandable.
0: It's far better than Tenet. Um I personally uh, struggle a little bit to um discern dialogue when there's extraneous noises and music going on that's a little too loud. And I did lose a couple of lines, nothing essential. Yeah, it's nowhere near Tenet level. So I don't think that's something to worry about. The thing that did bother me was this non-linear nature of the narrative. There's one particular of the the future storylines that is, is shot in monochrome to distinguish it from the primary story of building the bomb. But constantly cutting back and forth between these kind of connected stories, but they are different stories, didn't help individually. I think they would all work as their own thing, but telling three different stories at the same time and jumping between them all, only very rarely did it add context that helped something. It was more just muddled and confused, I thought. I would have preferred just a simple linear story. Here's a guy, hopes and dreams, build a bomb, whoops, and then (laughs) just tell it in a straight line. Um, But Nolan doesn't do simple, and I I really wish he would pare it back a little bit. Focus more on the really interesting things that really work. The marriage between Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt's characters would have been something I'd like to know more about, but you don't get that much of it. The way it's edited as well is constant forward momentum. There's lots and lots and lots and lots of different scenes and sequences. You cut very quickly from one to another and lots of different locations, and it feels like you're just constantly on the move, which works well for a film like The Dark Knight. But for this kind of thing, I would have liked it to slow down, have less stuff in it, and spend more time exploring the really interesting stuff that's in the film. I am far better at criticising things than I am at complimenting (laughs) them. I'm not as down on it as, as I sound. I've
2: heard some criticism that like you don't really get the impact from the Japanese perspective of killing hundreds of thousands of innocent Japanese people.
0: That's true. You do get some moral hand I'll try not to um, spoil anything, but there is a, a bit kind of Im- immediately after the bombs are dropped where some people are celebrating this and seeing it as a flag-waving um, moment of uh, American patriotism and other people feel they have to go mm-hmm. along with that, but they're clearly feeling the exact opposite. Uh, there's a particular sequence about that that is spectacular, really wonderful. So that it, mm. it, it does have the moral conflict there, which is, is good, juicy stuff, but at no point does it give you the, uh, the Japanese perspective, which might have been interesting, um, might have been another case of too much stuff mm. in the film.
2: Wasn't it Clint Eastwood that did two films, and it was a World War II battle, and he did one film from the American perspective, and then another... Film from the Japanese perspective.
0: Yeah, the American one was uh, Flags of Our Fathers and uh, the other one was uh, Something About
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, it sounds like there's lots of different stories that could be told about it, but I Mm. do like a bit of moral dilemma and hand-wringing.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, for me, some of the best Mm -hmm. stuff in it. Yeah, as I say, three hours long still kept me interested. There's some really great moments in it um, and really good acting, so there's a lot to take from it.
2: So how many megatons out of ten?
0: Ooh, can I have 7.5? I'm bouncing between a 7, 7 and 7.5 on the victor scale of...
2: Is it a victor scale, No, That's, That's earthquakes, earthquakes
0: John. It? Yeah. I was
3: going to try it another way. Stop me on this countdown. When you hit the score, it should be <laughs> 10,
0: <laughs> 9, 8... 7.5. Th- right, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good film. Um, it's kind of uh, mid-level Nolan, I think. Mm-hmm. Some people like it more than I do. Some people like it less. They're wrong, I'm right.
2: <laughs> Do you think the um, hype around it may have led to unrealistic expectations? Because There's people saying, like, it's amazing and it's cinema at its finest and all that malarkey.
0: Oh, it's really difficult to say. I think it's just one of those things where um, different people will take different things from it because there's so much in it. Yeah. Uh, some people will be dazzled by the visuals. Um, maybe some people will be far more tickled than I am by uh, the uh, timey, it's not timey-wimey time travel or anything, but of the mm-hmm. multiple different time threads going on at the same time.
2: I've heard comparisons to JFK as well in terms of like the structure and the way it kind of unfolds and things.
0: Not seen JFK, but yes, it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Down to the uh, grassy knoll. In conclusion, it's great, but it's no Barbie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Barbie <laughs> is um, a full two points better out of 10, I think.
2: So that's the end of the show. We've had a great time. <laughs> uh, we've, we've finished and all that's left now, I believe, is the
3: after party oh right okay <laughs> Peter i th-
1: thought you'd forgotten it I then
3: i genuinely didn't have <laughs> forgotten he was about to it tell you all. wouldn't me <laughs> he was sitting there laughing at my indignant expression <laughs> the after party is a murder mystery comedy series on apple tv oh i
1: remembered which one it is <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking i would never heard of it because you look
3: baffled when i after told you what party, i was gonna yeah. do it's the The, party. the series like takes the a party. murder shut up Hold john <laughs> The series takes a murder, then retells the story from the point of view of each of the witnesses, each of which put their own spin on events to reflect their own personalities. Each episode takes on the character of the person telling the story, so aspiring musicians Ben Schwartz's version is told as a musical episode. Love interest Zoe has her story told in animation. Her daughter's version is accompanied by cartoon sound effects with some of the characters played by Muppets. And when Tiffany Haddish, who plays the detective, reveals her backstory, it's told as a police procedural. I enjoyed all that reinterpretation of events, when you grow to like or loathe each character as they tell their stories. The first season's all about the murder of Xavier, class nerd turned pop superstar, played by Dave Franco, who returns to his high school reunion basically to piss everyone off. And we learn more and more about why the various partygoers might have wanted to kill him as the story reveals itself. At the end, you can put all the pieces together from all the different versions of the truth to solve the crime. It's fun and I really like the different genres it passes through. The second season's just been released, retaining a few of the characters from the first. If you enjoy campy murder mysteries such as Knives Out, you might enjoy it. Uh, I assume from the bank faces, no one's actually seen this. No, I'm,
2: uh, th- this is another Apple TV where you, where you just said season two's come out. Yeah. All these things just appear on Apple
0: TV. Apple TV
1: have terrible promotion. Yeah. You, I never really hear about things until I stumble upon them.
0: I've not even heard of this. It does sound good, though. Mm-hmm. Um, is it kind of a, a Rashomon-style thing where you've got unreliable um, narrators and you can't actually know who to trust?
3: To a degree, yeah. Cool. Some of them are more disp- different interpretations because of, biases other reasons are because just simply one person saw a thing another person didn't notice it or unreliable witness stuff nice you know it's not earth shattering, but it's good entertaining fun
1: uh, how many episodes are in a series then
3: around eight i should have researched really <laughs> is it comedic yes yeah very much so
1: are they hour-long episodes
3: no i think they're probably about 30 40 minutes
1: Yeah, I was thinking that's a lot of work if they're doing every episode in a different style.
3: Yeah. The musical one, it's actually done really well. The (laughs) songs are actually quite good.
1: How did it compare to the Strange New Worlds musical? Oh, right.
3: Yes, I watched that last night. This is the musical episode of Star Trek. That was weird. (laughs) Presumably you've seen the Buffy musical episode. Yes, classic. It was very reminiscent of that in a way. Because Mm. it kind of used the metaphor of, in a musical, a song is about communicating things you can't say always in speech sort of singing from the heart so they sort of harnessed some of that thematically as well it was quite centered on uhura who's the communications person you could hear auto-tune on a couple of the singers <laughs> spock in you particular would hear would you know?
2: <laughs> there's always in those musical episodes one major cast member who's somehow yes. sidelined for that episode
3: unfortunately in buffy it's actually buffy who obviously yeah. plainly is auto all the way through
1: In the Star Trek episode, what's the premise of them all singing musical numbers? Because in Buffy, Uh, they were, like, enchanted by a demon. A
3: rift opens up and a magical wave enchants them like demons.
1: Oh, okay.
3: You don't really need a reason.
1: It's quite hard to go along with if there's not some. Is it something like a
2: George Gershwin transmission gets mixed up with the sensors or something like that?
3: Yeah, they're trying to stimulate the rift in some sort of way. Mm. They try beaming music into it, and it comes back out with a wave that makes them all sing and dance.
1: (laughs) Oh, so they're thinking like Voyager Probe when they used to mm-hmm. send, send random songs into space? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Uh-huh. That's what I just wanted some grounding in reality. That's good. Yeah, okay.
3: <laughs> yeah as long as it's a realistic reason for everyone bursting out <laughs> singing. Stimulate it's your life. It's not left. quite as clever as the Buffy one. The Buffy one was brilliant because the lyrics were so integrated in the story and actually push the story forward.
1: I think at that point in Buffy a lot of people had deep dark secrets that were stressing them and causing them major problems and the, the episode was like a release valve almost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. It didn't just feel like an unnecessary thing. You probably enjoy it more if you've watched the series and see the contrast between how these characters normally are portrayed. Because that's what some of the fun is in these episodes. Star Trek has always had like the episode where everyone gets drunk and acts out a character.
2: And the next generation famously did that as a second, second episode, episode before. Definitely yeah. a stupid <laughs> thing to do.
3: And the weird thing with that Star Trek one is it followed on from they did an animated show only about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Where they're
1: getting all their tricks in and quite. What are they going to leave that themselves with? They've done with? them both
3: together.
2: Are I th- they th- sensing I think cancellation? Just
1: gone
3: a bit crazy this season.
2: <laughs> we haven't had the Muppet episode
3: yet. Give it time. Which Angel did, didn't they? I enjoyed Angel being a Muppet.
1: I don't remember the Angel Muppet episode. Oh,
3: dig it out. Yeah. It is wow. funny. He gets possessed by a demon turned into a Muppet.
1: The demons were handy in Buffy for that sort mm-hmm. of stuff.
3: So, yeah, to come back to the, the after party, I think if you like the sort of you know, modern murder mystery sort of stuff that's a bit light hearted rather than entirely about the mystery itself. The mystery itself is not the most engaging thing. Yeah, It's more about people's interactions and their kind stories.
2: Can like, only murders in the building. Is that Apple TV as well?
1: Um, that, no, oh, that's, that's
3: on Disney. Disney. Yeah, I know a lot of people love that. I'm, I'm not hugely attached to that.
1: I watch it all. But the
3: main actors are all a bit weird yeah, and creepy. I don't
1: enjoy the cast. I don't yeah. think they're all the greatest or most engaging actors. I think they've just got a really good premise.
3: Despite the fact that I've seen both Martin Short and Steve Martin playing really good parts before, it's always just seemed a bit weird in this series. They're
1: not the best thing about it. I think it's, it's the plotting most interesting on that one. So, how soon did you guess the murderer in the after party then?
3: Actually, I didn't even try. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't about that. Okay. It was about following the stories and the interactions and what would happen.
1: Mm. Mm, nice. That sells it to me more, I think. Yeah, yeah
0: it definitely does to me. Uh, are, are there some likable characters? Because it feels like the kind of thing where everyone could be a supreme arsehole.
3: There are some arseholes, but there are, yeah, there are
0: some likable characters too. Good stuff. I like them. Yeah, I'm going to give that a try. Mm.
3: And there are sort of running gags like the guy who held the original party couple of years ago who no one realized it was his house and everyone just ignores him all the time and then in their evidence as well they keep just disregarding the fact that he's there and there's nice little running things
1: Hmm. so how many genre twists out of 10 would you give it
3: i think i would give it seven and three quarters
4: oh
0: (laughs) better than oppenheimer then
3: (laughs) that's probably slightly unfair
2: Well, the after-party's come to an end. Time to turf people out. They just won't go. Someone's in the kitchen asleep. Someone's on the sofa gnashing off with somebody they met at the
0: party. Gnashing off. Gnashing (laughs) off.
2: (laughs) Where did we hear that phrase? Who used that phrase the other day? I don't think anyone's ever used that phrase. Dennis the Menace,
0: wasn't it?
1: (laughs) What do you think it means, John? I I think it
2: means giving somebody a drunken snog.
1: Oh, okay. Was he doing a mime that I didn't see because my head was no. the other
2: way? <laughs> and it just comes to us to bring the party to a gentle conclusion by asking you to recommend uh, us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Breads, not
0: Twitter, X.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Haven't they renamed it? It's Muscovision now, isn't Muscle it? Muscovision, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Nonetheless, despite that, if you leave us a recommendation or a review, Peter will give you a lovely, lovely treat. And what is that, Peter? (gasps) I don't think I will. (laughs) Hazel drops me in this every episode, so it's your
3: turn. I will turn up to your house with a tin of pink paint and
0: redecorate your bedroom for you. (laughs) That
4: still sounds sexual somehow.
3: Are you
2: Hazel's (laughs) mum?
0: global shortage of pink paint now, thanks to
1: yeah.
2: They, yeah, they used all the pink paint in the world. Used allegedly. it well, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm.
0: You've been listening to
1: A girl whose enjoyment of this podcast was enhanced by lots of Prosecco and a nap beforehand
0: <laughs> A Ken who has become death destroyer of worlds Ken who has
3: already secretly murdered someone in this podcast, but won't reveal who until the end. <laughs> a Ken who
2: is taking the ratings given in this episode to mean that Evil Dead Rise is as good as Barbie uh, we'll see you next time where Hazel will be doing a far better job of hosting the podcast than me, but until then, bye. 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 bye!
1: We were told not to sit at the front of the IMAX if we ever wanted to hear anything ever again.
2: <laughs> I'm looking forward to Peter editing this podcast into three non-linear
3: my <laughs> yeah in, intersperse the three interviews yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: there's a bit where Barbie kills somebody with a cheese grater and then <laughs> yeah. the world explodes
1: <laughs> if Barbie killed someone with a cheese grater I'm sure she had a damn good reason for doing it oh wait 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 I don't have a thing a girl who's a Barbie girl no
2: in a Barbie world
1: no
0: life in plastic it's
3: fantastic um <laughs> you can brush my hair alright come on um, is it undress me Ew. anywhere I'm afraid it is
1: no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Barbie Girl only squeaked into the soundtrack.
2: Okay, they've got a hamster doing it.
1: Yeah. <laughs>